Welcome back to another episode of Cross and Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and your enjoyment. Jesus is King. There is no neutrality, no exile, and there is no surrender. My name is Jason. I'm here again with John. How are you? Howdy, howdy. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. Long week and stuff, but what do you... uh what have you been up? What, what what have you been up to lately? <laughs> what have I been up to? I've been working a lot. I've been working a lot. Haven't been reading as much as I would like, um, but I've actually started uh, Herman Bovink's "The Wonderful Works of God." It's right up there right okay. now. It's very very good. Um, it's almost like a more of a layman's version of his systematic theologies. Mm-hmm. So I'm really enjoying it. That's cool. What have you been reading? I've yeah, I want that book. I'm gonna have to. It's a really nice pick it book up, too. It just looks beautiful as well, but the content is also good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been working through. September was a terrible month for me reading, so been super, super. The whole Shameful bivocational, pastor. yeah, the bivocational thing's been rough. Church discipline. It's been a blessing, but it's been you know some things give. No, I, I've been trying to work through uh, Vishal Mangalwadi's book, the book that made your world. Ah, yeah, I've heard good book. things about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Finished the chapter on language last night, actually. So, yeah, I, I, it's been really helpful. I, I think he he definitely understands, especially in his own culture of India, how the gospel and sort of this Western faith for all of life thing took root in India and then how it blesses the rest of the world. So it's definitely really good. And I'm also slowly working through Chesterton's orthodoxy again. Okay. It's been a while since so, I've read that one. Yeah. It was a long time ago I read it, but... Yeah. Did you read his uh, his heresy as well? No. No. Yeah, it's good. I'll let you borrow it. All right. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> would, you, would you say that books like the, the one you're reading now might, especially in like an India, Indian culture, mm-hmm. um, take better root because of the social problems there? So they almost see the gospel as more applicable social issues. Oh, that's definitely. Because, or, or you could also say like how Christian Reconstructionism or Libertarianism has taken root in places like Bulgaria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's because it's post-communism and they see the gospel in a proper light while American Christians almost have it too easy. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they don't see those things as, you know, as well. He actually traces, he was watching women carrying water next to a suburb where they had indoor plumbing. Oh, wow. So he talks a little bit about that. And just a stark contrast, definitely the gospel is a all of life thing. And he, he witnessed it firsthand, which is really, so I do recommend that book though. It's, it's helpful. Very cool. Very cool. So I can't say that I've watched anything much lately either. I haven't had time. Any good shows? Uh, yeah. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I've no, I, I watched a little bit of Away. What's that? Um, Away is about a, astronaut going to Mars. So it's about the first mission to the manned mission to Mars. Mm. But the show is about equal parts, like space mission, sci-fi, like, you know, every episode there, you're about to die and they have to figure out how they're not going to die. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of the typical thing. Um, it's about equal parts that and equal parts, how the crew is dealing with being away from their families and their loved ones. And also how their family and loved ones is dealing with being away from oh, the crew. Okay. So a lot of it is almost like a family and social drama while mixing in those fun, like space, you know, adventure yeah. elements, if you will. That's cool. Yeah. It's a good show. I like space stuff. Yeah, me too. It's fun. Martian. I thought that was fun. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Martian was good. Book uh, was good too. Yeah. 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 The book was good. One of those books was better. Yeah. I don't ever get into that, but I liked them both. For- <laughs> they were both good. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, I misspoke. 
I have been watching the Avengers with my kiddos. Oh, okay. So, is this the first time they're watching? Yeah. Them? I mean, we, they've seen snippets. My oldest is he's 12. We've been fine watching those, but okay. the, the other younger ones are a little bit behind him. Not far, but younger. Nice. And they've really enjoyed that. And then being able to, they just love talking about like worldview stuff too. Well, there's so, plenty of opportunity to talk about that with those books. What's Thanos doing? Movies. <laughs> yeah. 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 The movies. What's Thanos doing when he's trying to balance the universe and why is that a pagan idea? And so, yeah. Good example. It's, it's been fun. Yeah. So, well, good deal. Uh, we should talk about housekeeping, housekeeping yeah, stuff real quick. real quick as we get into our episode here. We have just a reminder, you can find us on pretty much all major platforms. Yeah. So iTunes, Amazon Music, Google, you can find us all there. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can share those with your friends and so on. Thank you, your church knitting groups, whatever. <laughs> you can do it there. And remember to go to lambsrain.com. We have articles coming out there. Also, if you want to support the work, we appreciate that. We actually had some donations this week, which is a huge blessing. Thank you very much. Yeah. So we were able to purchase some uh, equipment, which yeah. we're excited about. We're going to have some uh, nicer mics pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. These aren't bad, but we're going to get something that works a little bit better for us. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that'll that'll take place. So thank you for our generous donors who have been doing that, but you can go to lambsrain.com slash support. You can go there. Yeah, it's really easy to make a one-time yeah. gift or a recurring support. So it's very easy, very quick. Yep. Yeah. And episodes are at lambsrain.com slash CCR. So if you like listening on your browser, you can do it I don't know who way. does that, but that is an option if you want to somebody, see the archive. Yeah. yeah, somebody might. All right, well, hey. Let's are get you, into it. Are you ready for this? Let's get into <laughs> this it. This is going to be a this will be a good episode. We we want to get into communication. So, Jeff Durbin. Jeff Durbin. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get that out of the way. Yeah. So there was a conference, mm-hmm. and at the conference, um, he preached a lecture, or he uh, presented a lecture, or preached a sermon. I don't know. <laughs> One of those. Yeah. Things. Not a church service, but. Sure. Christians were there. Yeah, but. sure, exactly. And in said lecture, um, he used a bad word. <laughs> and so the internet is in uproar. Yeah. And we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And uh, he's talking about some ideas, and I think we actually agree with a lot of what he's saying. Yeah, uh, I listened I listened to the whole sermon. Yeah, and he I've gets, listened to about half the sermon, so yeah. I'm not as um, informed as you. Well, but, but we are, we want to talk about it segment in a yeah. little while we'll yeah, get we to it but yeah. but i really I, you know jeff durbin one thing I, lo- I love he he does do well with discussing presuppositional apologetics he's on the street they're doing the work they have end abortion now their ministry has has done a lot of work in in trying to end abortion and so he talked a little bit about that in the sermon as well but i really appreciated that aspect of it so our you know our critique is of course uh, a critique, nonetheless. You can't sure. scale that back, but yeah. but I do appreciate his passion for apologetics because I think that you know a lot of size ministry too has helped kind of rekindle size yeah, timber and cake. Yeah, yeah. You know, Bonson built on Van Til, and then so it's it's kind of been a, a resurgence of presuppositionalism, which sure. is Durbin's helpful. work with uh, like, with Mormonism is excellent. Uh, well, so some good. of the best stuff I've ever seen. It's so good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And honestly. So I'll probably get in trouble with at least some people for saying anything nice about Jeff, yeah. <laughs> which is a part of what we're talking about tonight as well. Yeah. So yes, we yeah. are going to be covering uh, Jeff's talk, um, at least a segment of it. Yeah, the segment. And we're also going to be s- speaking about 
Christians and harsh or crass language. Mm -hmm. What does God's word say about Christianity and using harsh language? But another even bigger topic, because honestly, with all the drama on social media concerning Jeff Durbin and concerning this talk, and then we can go back years and talk about the cussing pastor, Mark Driscoll, (laughs) and we can, we can, we can talk about all these different examples. Um, I think we also need to talk about just generally Christian ethics and communication and whether or not there is a communication antinomianism mm-hmm. growing within the church. Okay, you just coined a phrase. Communication antinomianism. we got to say that again. What is antinomianism? Lawlessness. Against, uh, yeah, lawlessness. Against yeah. the law. Against the law. God's law specifically. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about breaking, uh, you know, Virginia law. Yeah. We're talking about <laughs> breaking God's law. God's law. So speaking in such a manner that is lawless according to God sinfully communicating. So we want to talk about that. Yeah. And and before we get too much into it, um, again, we, you know, we agree with a lot of what Jeff says and the entire episode isn't going to be about Jeff, but we yeah. are using it as sort of a launching point to discuss these bigger topics. So everything we say later on in the episode might not always apply to Jeff, but if the shoe mm-hmm. fits, right? Well, yeah, if it fits, if it fits to it anyone, fits. if it fits to anybody right? yeah. and not all the time it will, but some of the times it will. Yeah. And, and on that note too, just to, to reiterate too, the clip when we play it is very much an illustration it is. of kind of a larger thing that we've observed in the reformed camp when it comes to the issue of wokeness and yeah. all that. So it it's kind of a springboard. It's so, one puzzle in a much larger yeah. puzzle, um, I suppose. One puzzle piece, piece in yeah. a larger puzzle, That's definitely. Right. Yeah. All right. So general ethics... General Christian ethics and communication, that's our broadest, that's our broad category. We're going to definitely dive into that, but we're going to use the, um, just talking about cursing or talking about Jeff's sermon clip as a launching point, if you will. So as far as topics though, we we need to hammer home the very first thing we want to say at the very beginning, that judgment begins where? The, the house of the Lord, absolutely. <laughs> That's what Peter says. Yeah, so First Peter, Peter <laughs> let, me, let me restart that. First uh, <laughs> Peter 4, 17 through 18, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if righteous is sa- scarcely saved, if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Mm-hmm. I think it's really important because... Uh, whenever we get into these sort of discussions and whenever we offer criticism towards Jeff Durbin or we offer criticism towards the woke church mm-hmm. or if we offer criticism towards the anti-woke church in which Jeff Durbin is presumably a member of, um, yeah, we have to remember that judgment begins with the household of God first. So yeah. I'm sure there's going to be people who respond, but the, those other people are worse. Yeah, right. that's usually the case. And, and that oftentimes might be true. Mm-hmm. Like we, we are not trying to say that these anti-social justice or anti-woke pastors are the same as a actual communist terrorist on the streets throwing bricks through windows and beating <laughs> up people. That's not what we're <laughs> yeah. saying. Yep. And it's not the point. Because we have a higher standard. Mm-hmm. And comparing ourselves to literally the worst offenders on the other side isn't a good argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think we see this where people who sometimes associate themselves with the left or, you know, woke Christians, if you will, or some woke Christians, at mm-hmm. least, um, they'll, they'll almost compare themselves to, say, like the KKK mm-hmm. or white supremacists, while those on the right 
will compare themselves to Antifa mm-hmm. or other, say, like extremist liberal groups. Yeah. Sort of like, I hate Trump, he's Hitler. Yeah. So we just, everyone I don't like is Hitler. You've seen the, oh, yeah, the book know, cover. Donald Trump is Hitler and Barack Obama is Stalin. Yeah. Or however we want to say it. Or if you really want to sanctify it in dispensational lingo, everybody's the Antichrist or they're the Antichrist. <laughs> right, and exactly. So, so you, what, you demonize them. Yeah, you demonize them. And I think we can go a lot into, are those actually apt descriptions? But I think a much more important point is that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my ethics as a Christian, as a image bearer of God, isn't about comparing myself to the worst people on the other pe- person's team. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. Um, we should be comparing ourselves to the standard, which is Jesus Christ and right. his law. Word. Right. And I want to say a word about that too, because I think that this is a major, major issue with regard to just thinking like pastorally, we spend a lot of time. Uh, comparing ourselves with others. And we're encouraged to do that in our culture. We're encouraged to be jealous of others or covet their things. Maybe they have a nicer car, or they have a nicer house, or, you know, things seem to be going well with them. And 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 they, they're making great money. Why can't I make better money? And it's just this huge thing uh, that can crush Christianity in a, in a church. Uh, it can crush Christians who are just trying to to, to live and exist and, and follow his great commission and so on and so forth. So I think that this idea that you can compare yourself to others as if they have any remote standing in your life. I mean, they might be somebody, you know, just you and me, maybe it's a friend or somebody that um, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, it could be anybody. And it's dangerous stuff. It's dangerous stuff to go and compare yourself uh, to anyone else other than God. And Absolutely. So that, I mean, that's a whole, that could be a whole sermon in and of itself. But when you, you, you go to Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But we go and compare ourselves to others to condemn ourselves. No, absolutely. Why are we doing that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is so central. And so much of this conversation we're about to have can be easily derailed by, well, the other guys are worse. Mm-hmm. So much of this conversation can be about, um, you know, saying things like, if you don't care about that Antifa as much as you care about this swear word, then you're wrong. Well, well yeah, sure. But that's not the point. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not trying to compare, uh, each side. I think each side is guilty of many of the same things. Um, we need to be comparing ourselves to Christ and not worrying about what other people are doing so much. Oh, we need to call evil, evil, right? Mm-hmm. We need to call good, good, but that's not our standard. Right. And that's what I'm trying to say. And so I'm going to take a little tangent for a second. Sure. And it fits, but the, <laughs> the idea of whataboutism, and especially in a political season like this, not that we're going to get headlong into that again, though we will visit the topic again. I'm sure we're only a few weeks away from our uh, election. But this whataboutism idea where you, you, for example, you'll criticize Donald Trump and say, look, you know, the funding for Planned Parenthood, it's still, it's still there. He had two years with a Republican majority to deal with abortion and nothing was done. And so usually though, conservative people that I'm friends with will say, yeah, but what about Hillary who, you know, sponsored this bill, whatever the issue is about born being born alive, the infant born alive act. And it's okay. Now governor Northam says in our state that you can kill a child after it's he or she's born. So the whataboutism is a distraction. You end up pushing the issue away. You stop comparing it to God and what God's law demands, and you start 
pushing it. Well, what do they say? What What about that? What about yeah. that issue? What about this issue over there? And it becomes this weird, like, it's a, uh, what's the old, uh, the merry-go-round. Do they have those still? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I go to parks. I was one yesterday with my kids. They don't have them anymore. Anyway, you're on this merry-go-round and you end up just getting dizzy in the argument because you can't just deal with the issue. What is the ethics of the issue in front of us? Right. And, and Jeff Durbin does a really good job talking about God's standard. Mm -hmm. And he he often wants to point back to God's standard. That's what we want to do as well. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. There's this whataboutism in, throughout the entire <laughs> almost through everything. <laughs> Everybody is. wants to just right, point left. to the to the, yeah. the other people. Uh -huh. Say, well, at least I'm not as bad as this person, mm -hmm. or my team is not as bad as this guy. As long as my president is slightly better than the other person's, you know, candidate, mm -hmm. then he's going to be my hero. Yeah, and then suddenly it's a blanket. Everything he does is right. Right. Exactly. So. That ditch is a huge ditch. It's a huge ditch. Maybe that's a whole show on its own, but I think that's, <laughs> I think we just want to throw that warning flag up right now. I think it's so imperative for us to be precise, to not just what about ism? What about this? What about that? So let's yeah. not, let's avoid that ditch, in other words. I completely agree. And again, we, we do need to call evil, evil and good, good. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with dissecting these things. Uh, there's nothing wrong with getting into um, different segments of woke theology or liberal theology or conservative theology and calling a spade a spade. Yeah. But that's not our standard. So don't let your first response be, but those other guys are worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They might be. But and, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. And Ephesians 5 says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We'll come back to that verse. Amen. But that's a great verse in terms of exposing the darkness. Everybody wants to use that phraseology, which is a Pauline way of saying, yes, we should expose idolatry. We, could, we should be exposing evil. We're abolitionists. We want to expose the yeah. atrocity of abortion and infanticide. We're post-millennial theonomic abolitionists. Yep. Yep. Post-mill is a flashlight through history. It's going to continue to shine a light on the idols. Right. So we should probably get into Durbin's clip. Yeah. We're in a show. We're in a we're in a show, and we're going to listen to about six, seven minutes or so. Um, so go ahead and put on your seatbelt. Yes. And I also think if you have a kids in the car, um, there are some. Obviously, it's the whole point of the episode. There is going to be some harsh language towards yeah. the end. Yep. So just FYI. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and play now. Say what the prophets said and do what the prophets did. I want to be very careful about what I'm about to do because I want you to understand why. Say what the prophets said and do what the prophets did. The rules in my house, you can ask my children, the rules in my house, a foul mouth is punished severely. My children never grew up in a house with a father with a foul mouth or was loose with his lips. If I was to curse in front of my children, my children would be shocked. And I praise God for that because before God saved me, I had a terrible, terrible mouth. It came from a wicked heart. It was constant. And God redeemed me. And one of the first things he did is he changed the way that I spoke. You can ask for references from my family or my church body. But we have to understand that there are different speed limits and different locations for a reason. One of the things one of my heroes, Doug Wilson, says is that there's a speed limit for the highway and a speed limit for the sidewalk. They're not the same for a reason. 
You have to be more aggressive in the one lane. Jesus shows us this as well. We know that Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. He loved tax collectors and prostitutes. People knew it. He hung out with them to the degree that he was slandered. People were calling him a drunkard and a glutton. But put Jesus into a fight. And Jesus, when dealing with spiritually dangerous things, Jesus tells the truth in hard ways. He uses a serrated edge. Jesus calls people sons of hell. Jesus talks about people as whitewashed tombs, people full of dead, rotting corpses. You are dead. Jesus confronted people and warned them about hell. Jesus always told the truth. And when put Jesus into a fight, read Matthew 23, the meek and mild, sweet Jesus isn't there. He is confronting people who are endangering people's souls. I'll give you another example of how the prophets say things and how they do things. If you don't know this, I encourage you to get to know it. I think our evangelifish culture has lost sight of this. But this is how Ezekiel speaks about God's harlot wife. He says, Ezekiel 16, 23, And after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, declares the Lord God, you built yourself a vaulted chamber. This is who he's talking to his people. And made yourself a lofty place in every square. At the head of every street, you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination, offering yourself to any passerby and multiplying your whoring. You also played the whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whoring to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you and diminished your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed of your enemies. How sick, God says in verse 30, is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square. Yet you were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. Did you catch that? He says you're different than other whores because you didn't even want to get paid. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you were different from other women in your whorings. No one solicited you to play the whore, and you gave payment while no payment was given to you. Therefore, you were different. That's powerful. Serrated edge, God telling the truth about a bride who goes and offers herself to all the pagan nations but doesn't even receive a payment back. She's just multiplying her whorings, going out to all the pagan nations. So in light of these issues, BLM, LGBT, and the abortion issue, evangelifish woke pastors you say, homo-lust is not a sin. Even though Jesus said, sin begins in the heart. You say, we aren't under law, we're under grace. We don't need God's stipulated standards of justice. Yet you throw up your Marxist communist fists, shouting, no justice, no peace. You've swallowed the member of the Marxist denying what God says about our unity and identity in the Messiah. 
and you teach people that our identity is in our color, shame on you. You deny God's own word, accusing people of guilt for the sinful color of their ancestors. Thus, you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your woke bullshit. I could do this, by the way, more Pauline, if you like. You invalidate it for the sake of your scubula. Or I think if I want to be faithful and I want to say what the prophets say and do what they did, I need to be more like Ezekiel. The woke evangelical whore is a slut who lies down in the middle of a burning city, spreading her legs to the rioters and looters, spreading her legs to Marx, Engels, Alinsky, and Soros. Only she knows the history. Marxism and communism plunges nations into poverty. There's no money in this for her, but she wasn't looking for payment anyways. The evangelical woke slut is a slut whose behavior makes Cardi B's WAP look like performance art for preschoolers. Pray that God removes these pimps from the pulpit and fills it with prophets who will keep his bride pure and faithful. Let's pray. All right. That was a lot. Oh, yeah. Long <laughs> clip, lots of content. True. But and there was some good in it. Mm -hmm. First of all, uh, there was definitely some good. We are coming at this from, uh, as extremely anti-abortion Christians. Mm -hmm. We believe that LGBT uh, marriages or homosexuality in general is sinful. Mm -hmm. um, and we also uh, like adamantly condemn the BLM organization. Mm -hmm. um, though we've talked about this before, the wider movement is more of a case-by-case case basis. Your average person who showed up to a lot of these BLM rallies, we have one locally in Warrington. Yeah. Bunch of white people. Their day, and that's not wrong that they showed up. My point is, though, their day-to-day -day experience in the BLM, quote-unquote, movement is they showed up to a rally because they think the lives of black people matter. Yeah. So I don't... They don't know the first thing about Marx no. or Engels or Linsky. Yeah, your average person, all these marches that happen, they don't. They've never read an ounce of Marx <laughs> <laughs> or a page of Marx, as it were. Right. Probably not. Probably not. So to clarify, those are the issues that he focused on, BLM, uh, LGBTQ, and abortion. Yeah. So, yeah, we reject the Black Lives Matter organization. We reject... A homosexuality, it's inconsistent with the gospel, it is sin, and then abortion is murder. Murder, 100%. Okay, we're clear on that. Very clear <laughs> I know you that. and I are clear on Very that. Very clear on that. And I, I think it also needs to be said, like, and I think Durbin was alluding to this, is that he called homo lust uh, a sin, hmm. or he's talking about pastors who don't call it a sin. And that's extremely relevant just because there are segments, even in the Reformed camp, mm -hmm. who are saying that homosexual desires are not sinful unless it's intentional. Right. Um, I don't want to straw man them, so I, I, I didn't come super prepared to talk about homosexuality. Well, yeah, um, but that's the basic gist of it. Well, Durbin is completely right. Sin comes from the heart. And if you have an indwelling desire in you for a sinful action, that is actually sin. You don't have to be intentional about your sin. At all. I can I can snap at you with hatred in my heart and I didn't sit around and like contemplate being hateful to you. Yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of thing. Or if I if I lust with my eyes in a, in a heterosexual manner, 
So Durbin is completely right on a lot of these points. Especially that one, because the argument doesn't work for any other issue. Like when you think about hom- homosexual lust. Yeah, right? right. It's, oh, it's not adultery until I touch the the woman. That doesn't <laughs> no, work. So no. so just to clarify, there are people, the revoice crowd, yeah. there are people who are suggesting you can have feelings towards someone that's of the same sex hmm. and that's not sin. Sexual feelings. Right. Right. So just to clarify that. Absolutely. So I, I think one of the issues that I see in this is that there are a lot of people, a lot of people within the church who associate or at least sympathize with, you know, wokeness, whatever, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. that don't even come close to agreeing with some of these ideas that Durbin is, is, is talking about in his defining of wokeness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think, uh, Anthony Bradley, Dr. Um, Eric Mason, they are not saying, Hey, homosexuality is great. Abortion is great. Right. So literally the person who wrote the book on it, Dr. Mason. So <laughs> yeah, uh, woke church. So yeah, to sort of lump them all in together to me is problematic. It is. It is problematic. Um, Durbin mentions a few things. We already talked about the homo lust is not a sin. I uh, talks about Marxism and communism. Obviously those things are also sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, has I think damaged a lot of people in history. A huge amount of people. It's murdered a lot of people yes. in history. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who are that are associating themselves with Marxism that don't have a clue about what Marxism is, mm-hmm. just like you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Durbin also mentioned identifying uh, that that a lot of these pastors are identifying in their color as opposed to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where... I think it's helpful to add a little bit of nuance mm-hmm. because as far as people like Anthony Bradley and Eric Mason goes and a plethora of other teachers who are mm-hmm. Orthodox conservative men of God, they're not saying that we need to identify with our color. They're saying that our color is just one element of who we are, but we're ultimately, and I think primarily still going to be identified in Christ. Yeah. And that's super, super important. And I, and it's almost like this rhetorical bait and switch is we identify with all sorts of different things in our life. I identify as a Christian reconstructionist, as a post-millennial Presbyterian, as mostly confessional mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and identify as all of these different things. And socially, my life has been affected by my whiteness. Mm-hmm. My life has been affected by my maleness. My life has been affected by being, being an American very positively for the most part affected by that. And those are all identifying markers who make me who I am. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that at all. Now, what does become sinful is whenever you take those identifying markers and you place them above your identity in Christ, Mm -hmm. you let those things become um, superior to your identity in Christ. And that's a huge, huge problem. And, And honestly, that is a problem. That is a sin. That is a bad error, a very bad, bad error. Yeah. Um, I just don't see that error in a huge amount mm-hmm. of the circles that at least I'm familiar with. Uh, and, I, and I think that's part of the problem is well, that, that broad brushing. And having read, I've read actual books from these actual people. I have pulled up here John Perkins' Dream With Me, his book on that. He's got some other really good um in fact, one of his other books is called One Blood, 
and it's parting words to the church on race and love. So you hear him, right? The title says one blood. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think I think <laughs> Jeff actually mentions that earlier in the sermon and got an applause about, you know, one race, the human race, one blood, red. And he was emphasizing that, which I hear Vody Bauckham do too. And I appreciate that. But these folks, like even Eric Mason, John Perkins, Anthony Bradley, and I've even, um, though I take issue with, um, oh, his name just left me. Jamar Tisby. Yes, Jamar Tisby. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you I knew. thought that might be the case. Yeah, <laughs> we have we have ESPN. Um, ESP. We, <laughs> bad joke. It's a dad joke, okay? Oh, I geez. say it to my kids all okay. the time. But, but these guys are, they're not saying we need to look at everything through the lens of race. Or we need to make sure that we are, our identity is in our color of our skin. They never say that. Yeah. They just don't. Are there actual Marxist loving people who are saying that? Maybe. Yeah. I, I, think, <laughs> Probably. There, I think there are. Uh, I don't think it's these reformed men. Not in the church. <laughs> not, 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 the, not the big name guys who are like Mason who wrote the book called Woke Church. He's not saying that. We'll probably be able to find a guy on Twitter who says that. Yeah, probably. Um, but that, that kind of gets into what we're going to talk about. But these guys, yeah. especially I recommend John Perkins, his work, he, he adamantly argues against that idea that we should just you know, ignore our identity in Christ. Because yeah. these guys will quote Galatians, you know, there's neither slave nor, you know, male nor female, nor slave nor free. We're all oh, one gosh, in Christ. that verse. Which is a great verse. It is, a, it is a great verse. It's in the verse. Bible. But we're also not arguing for like a, a, a gender ambiguity. We're not getting rid of the male-female right. dynamic because yep. it says Androgynous, that. It's saying, yep. what are we centered on? Right. It's like, us being in Christ means so much more than me being a free man or a slave or being a Greek or a Gentile or being a male <laughs> or a female. It doesn't mean that it can't be a male or a female. Right. It doesn't mean that those distinctions are gone. And what is he What is he speaking of? He's speaking of a new covenant reality. Right. And I think that so, is honestly what Vody Bauckham does and others do when they talk about how racism isn't real because we're all one race, mm -hmm. is that they're really, honestly, what's the word? I think they're minimizing the issue and speaking about it extremely reductionistically, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where these distinctions in society happen because of sin, I think, ultimately, um, and people associate with one another, and they develop cultures around certain identifying markers or certain shared traits or or shared um, or ge geography experiences. and experiences, yeah. and then people are prejudiced against that. And then later on, then we say, oh, well, there's, there's not actually black people and white people. Hmm. We're just all one white race. Well, the prejudice is there. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you yeah. know? So what we're doing is we're denying the prejudice when we deny that there is no racial distinctions. Right, right, right. And I think that's a real problem. I think there could be, hypothetically, right, some sort of world in which people are prejudiced against people with green eyes. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't be helpful to go around saying, well, we all have the same kind of eye. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just denying reality. And it doesn't mean that we're more valuable or less valuable because of these kind of outward differences or these cultural differences. But when those differences have been established in society, in history for hundreds of years, and there has been prejudice based on that, we effectively deny a real harm and a mm -hmm. real sin whenever we try to minimize all of those distinctions into like this flattening yeah, out yeah. dynamic. Well, we don't want to get into too far because we do want to do another episode on race Absolutely. and those things. <laughs> yeah. But one thing Durbin said was claiming that people are guilty because they are white. You think of the critical race theory discussion, again, not for now, but just to make a passing comment. When we deal with, it's a, it's a, it's a framework, a sociological framework, and it deals with the intersection of race and law and power. And, you know, 
sure, you have people who may be abusing that because they're coming from a humanist perspective or a maybe even a Marxist perspective. But we can't ignore those realities in culture. And, and there are probably pastors maybe somewhere that are saying, yeah, you should feel guilty because you're white. And then that, that, it's a whole different, you know, the issue of covenantal guilt and covenantal responsibility, mm-hmm. those things. I think we talked about it maybe in a, in a prior season. We might have. But, yeah. but we don't want to get too far down to that because we have other things to cover. But that was a, that's a big thing that, again, it can be a straw man because I, I don't hear Eric Mason saying that. Yeah, or Anthony Bradley or any of those guys. Yeah. Um, uh, people, yeah, Anthony Bradley, Bradley Mason, uh, Eric Mason, um, they're not saying that kind of thing. And that's really important because I think there are really true covenantal realities that we have to deal with and we have to wrestle with. And there are many verses that talk about covenantal guilt mm-hmm. where it's not your personal guilt, it's covenantal guilt. This is something that RJ Rush Juni talks about. Mm-hmm. This is something that Gary North talks about. This is not an unknown thing. It is a historical reformed doctrine. And I think some people like you alluded to Jason are twisting that doctrine. Yeah, yeah. They're not teaching it well. They're not being very clear um, but we don't need to throw uh, the baby out with the bathwater right, right, right. at all. Daniel being the foremost example of interceding, hey, we've sinned. Did Daniel actually break covenant? Well, actually, he, he was pretty faithful yeah. throughout his time in Babylon, but certainly his people weren't. So yeah. he interceded. He interposed, if you will, in prayer, a- acknowledging the guilt, and, and almost took it on as his, as his own in a sense of we're responsible for that now. Mm-hmm. Again, different episode. So there are a couple of points where we would we would want to add some nuance because again like I think there are people who are on the far left who are teaching these ideas that Jeff is condemning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just don't think it's the woke Christian church. Mm-hmm. I think it's the far left people who I don't think are even Christian who are teaching those ideas. Um, again, we don't, we don't think these people, these major authors in the reformed community or the evangelical community are saying these things at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the issue. A big part of the issue is that we have this scatter shot, almost shotgunning into the crowd, if you will. And you're hitting a lot of people. Yeah, you're hitting a yeah. lot of people that don't actually believe in these things in the way they're being articulated by Jeff. Yeah. yeah. And had he quoted some and gave us a direct quote and say, here's what Eric Mason says, or here's what Anthony Bradley has said. That would be more helpful. And maybe this is why I think that's wrong and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Which, of course, leads into the other, the issue, the curse word. Sure. <laughs> and he also said bullshit. Yeah. And he said slut a few times. Yes. So and some harsh words. In right? reference to the woke church. In reference to the okay, woke church. Which we'll come back to in a second. Yeah. But so the curse word happened. He kind of built it up. It, it was obvious that's where he was going. Yeah. He, he prefaced it and was saying, I'm, I have to say this carefully here. <laughs> yeah. And go ahead, say it carefully. Yeah, I mean, sure. He, that's fine. He spent the first five minutes justifying the last two minutes. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it, I don't know. To me, it seemed like he was just kind of setting himself up on a tee. And maybe that's the case. I don't. I can't judge his motives either. I wasn't there. I didn't call him and talk to him and ask him. But you're you're not saying that he's necessarily just trying to be edgy. Yeah, yeah, I he can't, might've... I can't make that call. Yeah, so I'm not going to. But, but he said it, and and that came at the end of a long list of what seemed to be straw men, where you're just pulling, lumping all these categories together wrongfully, and then condemning the woke church. So, yeah. and there is, this is the most frustrating thing to me. One of the most frustrating things is that there is a lot to condemn. Yeah, in society and in culture, and even the church sometimes. 
I just don't think this is helpful. And I really appreciated what Jeff said about Ezekiel. And I like his examples when he's talking about when he's talking about Jesus. In fighting. Uh, yeah. In fighting. I like his examples when he's talking about the prophets and their harshness. And I think there is a time for harshness. I think there is a time to say this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. There is a time for that. I've wanted to say that on this podcast before. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mind the future because Jeff says it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no? But uh I think there is a time and a place for that. Yeah. I just think when we are going to use that kind of language, we have to be really careful. And fortunately, I don't think this was a sniper shot. I think this was a shotgun. And I think it's hitting a lot of the wrong people. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to come back to the curse word thing in a second. Part of the issue that 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 you know I take that you take with it was the broad brush stroke. Well, what wokeness are we talking about? Because one might argue that Jeff is woke on the anti-woke train, <laughs> you know, right. one might are, you know, who's, who's woke? What does woke mean? And, and this is where with, with regard to, I mentioned it already now, Eric Mason's book, Woke Church, he, he talks about what it means to be woke. He uses that a pa- passage from Ephesians five about awake, go sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. A great verse. But what the, the definition of woke that Mason goes with is this. He says, able to understand how cultural, socioeconomic, philosophical, and historical realities inform our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ. Is that hostile I mean, to you? That seems solid to me. Okay. I would, and I thought about this today, I would almost say it backwards from that. How How is it that our responsibilities as believers to Jesus Christ inform socioeconomical, philosophical, historical, historical realities? Maybe that seems like I'm splitting hairs. No, I mean, I think you, you make a good point. But, I, but what he's saying isn't some sort of liberal Marxism. No, he's, no. He he didn't say how do we get the you know the the bourgeoisie and the proletariat to to get this whole thing sorted out right. economically speaking. And we're not saying Jeff Durbin is necessarily saying this about Eric Mason, but that's exactly the problem. We don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know who he's saying this about. And Eric Mason is the guy who wrote the book on the yeah. woke church. Yeah, and so it's extremely relevant that yes. we understand what are these people actually saying. Yeah, and that's why I that's why I wanted to listen to the whole sermon because I thought, okay, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe he talks about it earlier. He quotes Engels earlier, which was a good quote, a good quote to pull from. And yeah. I think you like Engels, yeah, yeah. a relevant quote, a relevant, to, yeah. yeah, 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 a good quote, a good quote, quote to uh, you know throw to it demolish, down, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but but and Jeff went totally pre-sup on it, and he's right. You know, when we speak of Marxism and, and dialectical materialism. You know what is what is dialecticism, and there, so there's a lot of philosophical stuff there. We've talked about that on the show before, and, but going pre-sub with it, Jeff did a really good job of of going. You know, hey, you want meaning and value, but you have no worldview from it. In typical Durbin, yeah, that's, that's the shtick. and it's and it's, great. A good, it's a good shtick. It's awesome. Yeah. He's right on. He's dead on. Absolutely. But then when you come to the end, it just sort of was almost like everything just kind of came to a head. Yeah. And so whose wokeness are we talking about? Because if it's Eric Mason's wokeness, I do take issue, I should say, lest people think I'm lauding him indiscriminately. I do take issue with this idea that we need to continue to tax people to death so we can get more money in the public school system in the inner cities. Like that's going to fix it. No. And, and Mason's talked about that. He doesn't, he's not coming from a Christian reconstructionist perspective where yeah. we... <laughs> I think Tisby makes the same error. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So... 
I'm my thing is in our thing, we think Christian reconstruction and theonomic ethics and principles is the answer. Right. That's the answer. And that's so we would apply it that way. So I'm not with Mason on those things. But when he speaks of being woke, I mean, this isn't this is not a devastating problem. You know, his own definition on the very back of his book. <laughs> it's not right, a, exactly it's not a huge issue. How does it these historical realities, things, you know, slavery, chattel slavery, so on, philosophical realities, socioeconomic realities, cultural realities. As we're Christians, how do we deal with these things? Are there people who have been nefarious in their treatment of Mason and taken it the wrong way? Probably. Maybe they're out there. I don't know who they are. I couldn't tell you. But whose wokeness are we talking about? Because if it's just a straw man, mm. then we get then we have a problem. I've heard the term woke be being used and applied to lots of different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, during this whole COVID-19 pandemic, I've heard the term woke being used towards uh, people who don't believe in the severity of COVID-19 or were against the lockdowns. I've been called woke for being against the lockdowns. Yeah. You've probably been called woke for being against the lockdowns. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've been called woke for being opposed to vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, <laughs> there's this like idea of like, well, what wokeness? Because ultimately according to a lot of people, not just a little people, according to probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, John MacArthur is extremely woke on COVID-19. Yeah, he is. He just put out a math, another video today and it got within, yeah. you know, a few minutes, so, over a so hundred thousand views. Is John MacArthur bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. And that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's so many, what is wokeness? By what standard are we using wokeness? Who's woke on woke? You know, I, the same thing with social justice, Yeah, right? And Jeff does list some things he's specifically talking about. I mean, to be clear, but again, I don't know who that is. I, I'm not sure if that's a real group of people within Reformed Christianity. And he does seem to be yeah. railing against people within evangelicalism. It would have been helpful had he actually not like named. The, not the apostate you yeah. know, mainstream denominations. He's not talking about the PCUSA. He's not talking about that. Yeah. At least I don't think he is. It doesn't seem to be, uh, but that's the issue. Yeah. Had he, had he taken the time to, to quote or name, name names. I mean, Paul names names. I, I think there's a time in it, but we're naming Jeff here. He's not here, but, yeah. but I mean, we're, we're trying to be, you know, critique it charitably and level-headedly, but there's this whole, um, it kind of, it cuts both ways. So if you're going to talk about wokeness, what do you mean? Who are you describing? What do you, what is it? Are you, because to just throw someone in there who, a pastor who, for example, like me, I see racial injustice as being a real thing. Right. I don't support sodomy. <laughs> I don't support homosexuality. Yeah. So am I in that crowd? If, should, is he condemning, you know, condemning me? Would someone <laughs> condemn me because... I, I think lo- the lives of black people matter and I'm okay with saying black lives matter, but I would never sign up to be in the organization because I'm not a Marxist or whatever. Yeah. You know, am I in that crowd? So I think that's why ultimately that particular point of his message was just um, unclear and uh, frankly, most, more, mostly a straw man. Uh, who, who are you talking about? What do you mean? I think that's, that would have been helpful to know. I agree. Let's go back to the cuss word thing. Yeah, let's talk about cuss words. (laughs) Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 
So what does that mean? What is corrupting talk? <laughs> I think oftentimes this verse and other verses like it, there's other verses that, that are similar to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quoted, but nobody goes to the trouble of defining what is corrupting talk. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, or we should say maybe fortunately, scripture doesn't give us like a a defined list of the words that are wrong to use and the words that are okay to use. It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. And we have examples of curse words being used in scripture or very severe curses upon people, or extremely severe harshness. So we don't want to fall into the legalism of saying that it is impossible to say words without sinning. Mm -hmm. I think that we can't go into the other ditch on this, though, because that one ditch is the legalism. So you can't ever use this list of words. Mm -hmm. But, But the list is changing. (laughs) <laughs> right? That's part of the problem yeah. is, is the list of words is changing. I have some really close friends in both Australia and Great Britain, and they use words regularly that would be considered a curse word in America. Mm. And if I say bloody mm-hmm. in a certain context in England, that is more of a curse word than saying maybe shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Um, and so you have these cultural differences where it's not the word itself. But we have to, I think, first of all, and I think Ephesians 4 touches on this, mm-hmm. is we have to be truthful with what we're saying. So we have to take the contextual meaning of the word and ask ourselves, is it truthful? So if I say something is BS, and we know in, from the context of the conversation that BS, all that means is like this thing is horrible or untrue. Yeah, it's atrocious. You know, it's can't. atrocious. Yeah. Is that actually truthful? Yeah. And in the case of Jeff Durbin, was like, well, some of it maybe, some of it's not. And 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 because you're judging, you're making it by your words, you're making a judgment. Absolutely, you're making a judgment. The quality of the thing. So is that judgment so is true? It true? That's is the it issue. actually true? Right. But also, is it loving? Ephesians four says that it may give grace to those who hear. Mm-hmm. So is it loving? And I think this is oftentimes where we fail, mm-hmm. where we curse or we use strong language because it's edgy because we want to be the next uh, shock jock edgelord, mm-hmm. <laughs> Facebooker, or reformed pastor. Um, we want to be controversial, mm-hmm. or maybe we're angry. We can't control our tongue. I sometimes cuss. I mean, I do. But I, I do in such a way that is very intentional, mm-hmm. and I don't do it in front of the vast majority of the people. <laughs> yeah. And I'll admit that. I don't, I don't have a, a huge problem with cuss words, but I think we have to be very clear about, hey, is what I'm saying true? Yes. Am I using a bad word to describe a bad thing or am I using a bad word to describe a good thing? Yeah. And, and this verse is in the context of Christian community too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, good for building up, building up of who? Well, others, those who are hearing. So if you're by yourself, you stub your toe and you, <laughs> you, you know, you drop the D word. No one, no one's listening. Right. That and, has more to do with self-control. Right. That and that could be an issue. That's right? what I was getting at. Yeah. What is your self-control? Because some people, I mean, man, they're cussing like sailors and they have no self-control because it's, and then it kind of reflects on intellectual capability too, because you're just being lazy at that point. Right. And I, I think it also cheapens these words mm-hmm. where if you use foul language or, or harsh language so often that when something atrocious happens and you, you drop, you know, BS or even maybe even F-bomb, you know, yeah. it's like, it doesn't have any meaning anymore. Yeah. You throw those, throw those words around all the time. And I think that's what Jeff was kind of getting at whenever he was explaining how he used to be. Yeah. How, yes, um, he did say that. He used to be extremely foul in his language. And I think a lot of that had to do with a lack of self-control and also probably just a reliance on those terms. Um, and he did mention it came from a an evil heart. It did. An, an unregenerate heart. Right. So he sees 
He sees that, which is great. I mean, he's, it is he's right on. And I think he's right about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think that's a problem. And I know everybody's not going to agree with us on that. There's probably going to be people who think this episode's terrible because I cussed two or three times. Maybe. Um, By the way. that's okay. Yeah. The loving thing. Um, we talked about this just as we were chit-chatting before the, the show. I, what is love? Love is the fulfillment of the law. Yeah. Correct. Because he critiques that concept in the sermon. And that was great. He does a good job with that. And again, this isn't all about Jeff. This is just broader categories, but but it's a good indication of uh, what we're getting at, though. A good example, I should say. But love is a fulfillment of the law. So love does not is not only conditioned by culture or those types of things. Love is anchored in God, who is love. We know God is love. Mm-hmm. Is is it loving that when my let's say my youngest? Well, now he's eight, going to be eight he starts to walk out into traffic and I just yell his name and I'm just almost angry because I'm scared. You're very sharp. Yes. Get over here. You know, very, because I'm scared. I don't want him to get hit by a car. Am I being loving? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm being loving. Why? Because what's the act? What's, what's the context? Is it true that something bad could happen? So harshness doesn't mean unloving. Right. And I think Jeff makes a really good point on that. That was the point. We agree. Yep. We agree. Absolutely. Well, you had an interesting, well, we're talking about meaning, but then also cultural. Yeah. And I think this is really significant. And again, I don't want to try to read Jeff's mind. Yeah. I think it's obvious that he was extremely intentional with how he used the, you know, BS and, and, and whatnot. I think it was extremely intentional. Uh, it was obviously a planned thing. He spent mm-hmm. five minutes justifying it, of course. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he dropped the bomb, right? He set it up. Um, I think sometimes we do need to consider the cultural context because how we speak does signal something to the world and it signals something to our audience. Yeah. Um, I think this is true with how we speak, but it's also true of other things. So think about it in this way. I, I think wearing a skirt isn't necessarily feminine because William Wallace wore a skirt, <laughs> right? There's kilts. Uh, kilts, yeah. There's kilts. Uh, I think how we dress has changed dramatically over mm-hmm. centuries. Uh, Jesus probably wore something that looked like a dress. Yeah, quite right? possibly. And so how we dress has wildly changed over the centuries. So we can't say, like a legalist would say, that this particular kind of clothing is intrinsically masculine or intrinsically feminine. But keyword intrinsic, intrinsically, right? Yes. <laughs> the actual cut of the dressing itself, of the, the dress itself or the skirt itself. But context does matter. Mm-hmm. Cultural context does matter because how we dress, just like the way we speak, signals something. It yeah. says something about our intentions. It says something about our desires. And so if, if a man in 2020 in Virginia decides to start wearing a skirt and he might go put a lot of makeup on or wear a wig with long flowing hair. Lipstick, really, high heels. Yeah. He, he is signaling something. He is doing something with the way he dresses in a very intentional way to say, I am bucking the cultural norms about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And we can't really say a whole lot more about him because we don't know him. This yeah. is a hypothetical person. He yeah. obviously needs some pastoral care. He could be mentally having issues or rebellious. Yeah, he could um, be dealing with homosexuality <laughs> yeah. uh, or struggling with some sort of gender dysf- Tra- dysphoria. Trans- transgenderism. Uh, yeah. Exactly. He could be dealing with a lot of different things. But he's obviously intentionally signaling something about his own virtues, his own desires by the way he right. dresses. So – 
In the same way, Jeff Durbin and everybody else who uses crass language in a public form is signaling something. Mm-hmm. They're doing something intentionally to buck cultural standards. Now, that could be maybe to rattle the cage, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to wake people up, if you will. Maybe Jeff Durbin is actually trying to get people to be woke on his ideas <laughs> by the way he's using language um, to try to get people to think better about what God's actually says. And, or he could be trying to signal that he's, you know, edgy. We don't know. We don't know. But he is signaling something, and we have to take that into account. And so it's not necessarily the words that are always wrong, but there's a lot of context that actually has to be going into it. Mm-hmm. Because when you are so intentional about using a word like that, that is widely understood to be a crass word, mm-hmm. you're definitely signaling some kind of virtue. And I'm not trying to say virtue signal in a derisive way, but you are signaling something yeah. with that. Yeah, it, it, is, it conveys, like you said, like with clothing, what we say conveys something. And maybe Jeff was in that moment angry, and he genuinely, I believe him to be genuinely convinced that what he, you know, the slew of things he lined up to then knock over, you know, he's frustrated with. Right. And, I, and right. I'm, I'm frustrated with Marxism. I'm, fr- you know, but again, like there are, are other issues at play. Um, but then it goes you know, this whole issue of cussing, curse words, so on and so forth, you know, in the biblical context, a lot of it had to do with, you know, taking an oath and a curse upon yeah. someone or, so there's Rush Dooney has some interesting things yeah. with the difference between all these categories. Yes. And yeah. his Institutes of Biblical Law, very, definitely recommend that. But then, then there's the issue of, okay, what's allowed versus what's profitable. Yeah. Right? That's a huge issue. I think it is allowed to use this kind of language. Mm-hmm. Like on its own, all other things being equal, it's allowed to use that kind of language. It's but a made it, up word. <laughs> yeah. I, a, I, I, just there's a thing, the movie in the Avengers <laughs> that I just remembered or a line <laughs> in the movie, the Avengers. He, he says, that's a made up word. And he's like, all words are made up. I mean, true enough. It's funny. Right? But it is it's funny. Like, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. So no, it's fine. And I think, but is it, is it profitable? And at this point in time with, with Jeff's language, I'm not sure if it's profitable. I'm not sure if it's better that everybody's talking about BS as opposed to the good that he said, mm-hmm. or maybe some of the bad that he said. Um, maybe that is okay, though. Maybe that's the fault of the listeners and not the fault of Jeff. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think, generally speaking, uh, there's a higher, higher standard for ministry, and I'm not particularly fond of the... Um, <laughs> kind of comparing like what you watch on Netflix or what you huh. watch on Amazon Prime and say, well, those are cuss words, so why can't a pastor say it? Yeah. Well, yeah. there's different standards for different things. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. Different- and across and Crown in our gatherings, you know, we, we spend a lot of time doing a lot of things, sometimes upwards of six hours a day, fellowshipping a yeah. day, Sunday, I should say, not every day. We have we have to work. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I would never, I don't think I would ever use that word or any of those words in our context, mostly because uh, it's not, I don't think it's my style and I feel like I would be forcing it. But also we have a lot of children that yeah. they don't need to know that right now. They, they're growing, they're maturing. You don't think you're like your eight-year-old has the wisdom and the maturity <laughs> to use BS properly. Correct. He's not going to do the exegetical study in Ezekiel to determine when he can use BS. <laughs> when he can use it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just me. And, and he's at a conference in Nashville. So whatever. I mean, sure. be it as it may, that's, 
I think that's distinguishing between, well, okay, what is allowed and then what is profitable. And of course, the Ephesians passage makes it clear it it ought to build up. It ought to build up. So ask yourself that. And I'm not actually coming down one way or the other on, on Jeff's usage yeah, of the yeah. word. Um, but we do need to ask ourselves that whenever we consider, you know, this sort of crass language, for sure. Yeah. So let's let's just kind of, as we land the plane on this episode, yeah. I don't even know how long it's been, so long, you, you, you long, don't have to tell me. Long, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> general, general Christian ethics and communication. Absolutely. So I know you've been thinking on it today in the middle yeah. of your busy day. How do we need to, how should we, what, what are the parameters here? Well, I, I think ultimately there's a lot of things that can be said about cussing. There's a lot of things that can be, a lot of things that can be said about harshness or cursing, but I don't think that is the core issue. Mm-hmm. And some of this might apply to Jeff. Some of this is going to apply to other people. Don't take this as a direct criticism of Jeff. Yeah. Um, I think this is a systemic issue for sure. And I think this is a, a systemic issue within both the radical right wing and the radical left wing. Mm-hmm. And I think the middle is shrinking. And So the problem isn't the curse word. It's really not the problem. I think the problem is this ever-increasing justification of a communication antinomianism. Yeah. A communication lawlessness, like mm-hmm. what I was speaking about earlier. And I think this is a, a very sinful, duplicitous trend uh, that both radical wings uh, – are participating. In. Yeah, yeah. And I think we see this, and I think as, as Christians, as conservative Christians who are more of the conservative wing theologically, um, we oftentimes see this in, in the left. Mm-hmm. I know both you and me have seen this while doing a ministry, mm-hmm. doing abortion ministry or evangelism. Um, we see this kind of communication antinomianism in the left when they label anything they don't like as fascist or racist, and you hear loud, yeah. obnoxious chants of racist, fascist, anti-gay, racist, yep. racist, fascist, anti-gay. I heard that at George Mason <laughs> University. Yeah, it's, it, that's it's, what they say. Exactly, yeah. and they're trying to shut down conversation. And I get people come up to me, oh, you're you're anti-abortion. You must be pro-Trump. It's like, well, actually, I have some concerns with that, too. And yeah, then we have some major concerns. Get confused on that. Yeah. But, so we, we further see this communication antinomianism when they scoff at any kind of possibility of nuance. Yeah. Um, when conservatives try to explain their position, say, hey, look, I'm not the XYZ. I'm not a big Trump supporter. Let me talk to you about it. And they're not interested in talking about that, just like you described. Right, right, right. Uh, we see this... We see this when very vague associations with, you know, bad actors or people who have genuine problems is just as likely to get you vilified as actually being the bad person yourself. Mm -hmm. Maybe the association is extremely vague. Maybe you just said something slightly nice about the person. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they have this one good quality or they wrote this one good book. Therefore, you are guilty of everything they've ever said. Yes. Yes. I appreciate (laughs) Trump pulling out of the Paris Accord. Oh, I'm racist. (laughs) Exactly. Right. (laughs) Exactly. No, no, no. Uh, We see this when no spectrum or nuance is allowed on the other team. And they're demonized regardless of the extent of their cultural heresy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, again, there's just no nuance at all. We see this when they refuse to have any kind of meaningful, level-headed, and helpful dialogue with those they have labeled as a certain category. Mm-hmm. And you see this trend, right? There's this labeling, and whenever they've been labeled as something, there's no, no, no nothing is allowed further yeah, than that. Yeah, social yeah. justice warrior, you're you're in that category, therefore. Exactly. Yep. You know, we see this when they go to great lengths to ensure that others uh, can't have meaningful dialogues. They'll shut down speeches. They'll shut down um, debates. So all this, you know, such. Mm-hmm. Um, we see this in a lot of different things. Uh, I think one of the biggest things is that when there's out of control broad brushing of their enemies, where everybody's a fascist, everybody's anti-gay, everybody's racist, and yeah, we're anti-gay in a way. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
Well, but again, it's it's twisted, yeah, right? Yeah. It's twisted. Or because we support the lives of black people, you know, they shouldn't be, you know, executed in the street. Oh, suddenly, exactly. You're BLM, and you want to burn the cities down, right? We have a problem with somebody getting, you know, murdered in their own home. Therefore, we must be fascist, or right. I'm sorry, not fascist, Marxist. Marxist, right? But the thing is, is that we actually see a lot of the same problems in the right wing. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> let me stop you here <laughs> before we get into more whataboutism. Brothers and sisters, like, remember that this isn't actually about who is worse. Is it the right wing? Is it the left wing who's worse? This is about our Christian duty before God, not how we compare to Antifa. Yes. It's not Jesus, about that. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is Let's king. Let's hold him up. Jesus is the standard. Let's hold him up as yes. the standard. And if there's any criticism that is actually true about your team or about who you are or how you act, then hear that criticism. Yes. Hear yeah. that criticism and look to Christ. Don't point to BLM or Antifa and say, well, I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not as bad as that guy. That's yep. pharisaical. Yep. So the right will label people. They might have a disagreement with somebody. They're woke. <laughs> or they're the SJW, they're the liberal, they're the Marxist. So everything, it's fashionable now. Everybody's a Marxist. If you have any inkling of racial injustice, you're a Marxist or you're social justice. And so it becomes this pejorative. Right. And it's a, it's a name calling. We have a, we have a friend who we work with at Lamb's Rain, Dr. Joel McDermott. Yeah. Um, he was told by James White, of all people, mm-hmm. he was told that, um, or James White said this about Joel to be, to be precise on Twitter that Joel went through a radical left wing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I want to see a radical shift to the left. Uh, exactly, think, a uh, radical shift to the left is what yeah. he said. I'll actually, I'll find it. But that's yeah. the kind of thing we're talking about. Yeah. Is that what did Joel do that was left wing? Yeah, Joel is <laughs> Presbyterian post millennial theonomist. Yeah, uh, who affirms every Christian standard of doctrinal orthodoxy that there is. And wrote an incredible book on the history of slavery in America. Absolutely. And I think that's the issue. I mean, he wrote a book on slavery that a lot of the paleo Confederates and the hard right wing Kenists didn't like. So now he went through a radical left wing shift. Like what gives, what did he do? That was actually left wing. And the 99% of the book is just stating fact. This is what happened in history. This is what, yeah, this is what happened in the year seventeen. Or, or Joel has said somewhat kind things about people who actually might be more left wing. Like yeah. he's read he's read books that right. <laughs> he's read books, or we have read books that um, aren't perfect, but we actually get something good from it. We go and spit out the bones. Yeah, so that gets us labeled as liberal. Yeah. I mean, there's on and on. Yeah, it can go on. That could be. Yeah, the same thing happens with uh, we've seen this with pastors. Yeah, pastors who will. Um, belittle someone because they're trying to nuance or they're trying to be careful. They they dismiss them. They call them effeminate. That's the big word right now. Effeminate, yeah. Effeminate. You're effeminate because you just won't just say it. You're just trying to nuance it to death. Well, maybe there are things as nuance, such things as nuancing things to death. But if we, we're trying to be careful and think biblically, like what we're trying to do in this episode, mm-hmm. that's not effeminate. Yeah, I I think there is. And sometimes people talk about this gospel of niceness, yeah, where you're where, where you're nicer than Jesus, yeah, right, where you're where you're better than Jesus and how you communicate, and you don't want to ever be harsh, you don't want to ever be mean, and you always just be super super nice, yeah, and super yeah. gentle, soft, super super soft, so, <laughs> and we're denying that, yeah, uh, we're denying that completely, but we also want to stay away from the other ditch. We don't want to overcorrect so much that we toss out God's law and how we communicate, mm-hmm. and I, I think this is what we're talking about when we talk about communication antinomianism, is that you're tossing out ethics and how you communicate, because if you're able to label somebody 
or if you're able to label a term or idea as part of the enemy, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's no rules on how we communicate. Yeah. This communication antinomianism, like it basically turns into this laissez-faire uh, situation where yeah. there's no rules, uh, there's no integrity, and as long as you're attacking the right people, you're okay. Right, right, right. You're okay. And no matter how blanketed or unnuanced or unspecific, there's no. It doesn't matter. You're SJ te, SJW. Therefore, you are stupid. Yeah. And when I've confronted this before, I almost get a, a utilitarian answer. Mm-hmm. I say, "Hey, this isn't actually true of everybody." And what they do is say, "But you don't understand the severity of this culture war that we're in." <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, "Maybe." But we're not utilitarians here. Right, we're not right, just right. doing whatever works. Yeah, and I and I'm in fact I would actually argue uh, it doesn't I'm, even work. I'm, yeah, it doesn't even work anyway. But I I am attuned to what's going on. Yeah, I to think the so. point where I do read Jean Paul Sartre. I do read Marx. You know some of his letters and sure. some of Engels. And we have actually read Marx. Yeah. So I've also <laughs> read Mises and Rothbard and Hayek and yeah. Milton Freeman and on and on. But yeah, I've. We've read Marx. But yeah. so we're, we're attuned to it. So, do, but let's, why do we have to be inflammatory immediately? You yeah. Know, I, I, especially on Facebook. I mean, that's mostly what I have in mind when I say that. I, mm-hmm. I see a lot of inflammatory rhetoric just immediately writing someone off, like Dr. White did with James or with Dr. McDermott. Yeah. Joel's a friend. Setting that aside, why would you say that? <laughs> just right. because they wrote a book on slavery or because that's the narrative you want to push, he must have went left. For, you know, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. that's just inflammatory nonsense. Right. It doesn't need to be said. Yeah, exactly. So I think there's a lot to be said about this and we could go on and on, but I think we just have to drive home the point that no matter the severity of the culture war, no matter the severity of abortion or LGBT rights or you know, yeah. uh, any of these issues, no matter the severity of this or no matter what's going on in the streets or the riots or the, the looting, that doesn't give us license to forget God's law and how we communicate with one another. Yeah. There are two ditches. We're not trying to be nicer to Jesus, but we can't also just be antinomians in how we discuss things. Right. And I see a lot of that out there, a yeah. whole heck of a lot of that out there. Yeah. Good exhortation. Isaiah 59, verse 8, the way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. So there is a unique tying together of justice and peace and where is justice to be found only in Christ and his law word. So Amen. All right. Well that's it for us here on this episode. Who knows how long we went? I'll find out later <laughs> after we mess it mess around with it. But we're thankful for you all listeners. Thank you for your encouraging words. I got a couple messages this week which is really Yeah, me too. Feels yeah. it's it's wonderful. So thank you for doing that. Um we, we put a lot of hard work into this and it's and it's fun. I know for you and I we get yeah. to hang out, talk um, but we, we want it to be edifying to people too. So thank you for joining us and please find us on Facebook. That's it for us. We will see you next time. Grace and peace.